Welcome to the Community Hope Podcast. We exist to share hope with more people in more places. For more information on this podcast or our church, please visit communityhope.org. Now stay tuned for our Sermon of the Week. Good morning. Welcome to Community Hope Online. This is our first ever online church experience, and we're so excited to be offering this to you today. Now, if you've ever come and, and visited us on a Sunday morning, you realize what we typically do after worship is we do a meet and greet. Well, obviously, we're going to have to do that virtually today. So I'm going to challenge you. Uh, would you just say hello? In the comments, would you just say, hi, hey, everybody, what's up? Glad to be here. So uh, you can just say hi to your neighbor. You know, everybody knows you're here. You know they're here because this is going to be a great experience today where we want to, there to be interaction. So I know you're going to be commenting while I'm preaching. Um, I'm glad. This is, we're kind of like giving you permission to pass notes during church. Like we, we want to be interacting with you. Now, this is all pre-recorded, so I'll actually be online as well. And so if you want to direct questions to me or any of the pastoral staff, you can do that right there in the chat. chat. If you want to request, request prayer, then you'll actually begin a private conversation with one of our staff members. So we're super excited to be able to offer this online church experience, and we want it to be as interactive as possible. So chat it up in the comments. We want you to be doing that today. So uh, this message that I'm going to be sharing with you, I just want to let you know, is from a book, uh, inspired from a book by Andy Stanley called Deep and Wide, Creating Churches That Unchurched People Love to Attend. So one of the most perplexing things that, that we face as a church is that Most church people don't understand what church is or why it exists. Now, if you ask the average person what comes to mind when you hear the term church, what kind of response do you think that you would get? I'm going to ask you to do that right now. Type that in the comments. What comes to mind when you hear the term church? When you ask the average person, what do you think that they would say? Yeah, go ahead. I'm waiting. Type right there in the comments. I want, to, I want to hear your answers. I want to know what you think. So, Because I'm going to give you some suggestions of what I think they might be, but I'd like to hear from you first. What comes to mind when you hear the term church? Is that a building? Is it a, a weekend event? Is it the longest, most boring hour of the week? Is that fighting with my kids on a Sunday morning? Is that fighting with my parents on a Sunday morning? What do you think comes to mind for the average person when they think of church. See, the tragedy is that what comes to mind when people, when the average person thinks of church is a far cry from what actually took place when the church was born. In the beginning, the church was a gloriously messy movement with a laser-focused mission and a global message. It was led by men and women who were fueled by something. But they weren't fueled by faith. Jesus didn't say, hey, just believe and everything's going to work out. No, they were fueled by what they had seen and what they had heard. Now, this fact alone sets the church apart from every other religious movement in the history of mankind. It wasn't the teaching of Jesus that sent his followers to the street. It was his resurrection. His followers weren't believers in some abstract teaching. No, they were eyewitnesses of an event. 
And the current confusion over the church is because we don't understand our own history. The birth, survival, and growth of the church is both unexplainable and undeniable. It's unexplainable because natural causes and explanation, they just fall short. There's something unnatural about the story, even supernatural. Now, I want to pause here for just a minute. I actually want to read an excerpt from this book because I feel like that Andy Stanley puts this history in such a powerful way. I want you to hear an excerpt from this book. A small band of Jewish dissidents defied a superpower and a religious system that had been in place for a thousand years and in the end prevailed. At the center of this grassroots movement, originally referred to as the way, was a Jewish carpenter whose messages centered on a kingdom that wasn't directly connected to this world. He spoke mostly in parables, and few, few could understand. He insisted that those who followed him love the Romans and pay their burdensome taxes. He alienated the influential and the powerful. He offended practically everybody. His family thought he had lost his mind. And after only three years of public ministry, he was arrested, publicly humiliated, and executed. Sounds like the perfect way to start a movement, doesn't it? But it gets even stranger. After his execution, Jesus' dispirited and desperate followers claimed that he had rose from the dead and that they had seen him, touched him, eaten with him. Then within weeks of this alleged resurrection, dozens and then hundreds of people within walking distance of where Jesus was buried believed this nonsense and began telling others. Before long, Jerusalem was filled to the brim with followers of the way. When resistance from both Rome and the Jewish authorities broke out, several members of the original group were executed and the followers scattered. Now, if this uprising had been like the dozen or so similar messianic uprisings that occurred during the same slice of history, it would have passed as a mere footnote of history. But this one was different. Everywhere they went, followers of the way insisted that God had done something unique in their generation. He had raised a man from the dead. In a relatively short amount of time, this Jewish knockoff religion replaced the entire pagan pantheon of gods as the primary belief system of the Roman Empire. The same empire responsible for crucifying its central figure. The same empire that launched several vicious inquisitions with the intent of stamping it out completely. It doesn't really add up, does it? Well, not without an actual resurrection. See, what I want you to see is whether or not you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that this uprising called the church is unexplainable. You can't explain it by natural explanations. It's both unexplainable and undeniable. Do you realize that today, one-third of the world's population claims some kind of faith in Jesus. The Roman Empire, they're gone. This, the ancient Judaism that tried to, snap, snap, to stamp out Jesus, it died as well in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed. But yet, still, today, one-third of the world's population claims some kind of faith in Jesus. 
It's unexplainable and undeniable. Jesus taught for only three years. But yet 20 centuries later, he is worshipped on every continent on the planet. It's an amazing story that every Christian and every church attendee needs to know. And it's a story that we have the privilege of participating in. It's a story that we're responsible for sharing. Do you realize that we determine what comes to mind for the next generation when they hear the term church? So I want to ask you another question. This is an opportunity for you to interact again. What do you want the next generation to think of when they hear the term church? Type that up in the comments. I want to hear from you. What do you want the next generation to think of when they hear the term church? Yeah, that's it. I'm waiting on you. Go ahead. I want to interact. I want to hear from you. One final time. What do you, think the, what do you want the next generation to think of when they hear the term church? Now, if you do know church history, you understand this. You're painfully aware that once the church was legalized, it got organized, <laughs> excruciatingly organized. And what, be, what began with something that was unexplainable and undeniable, it became institutional. And we became a whole lot less movement <laughs> and a whole lot more establishment. And 2,000 years later, the church is still struggling to regain its original identity, purpose, and passion. Say the word church today, very few people think movement. What I want you to see is this, is that the church needs committed followers of Jesus Christ who are willing to do whatever is necessary to ensure that we hand it off to the next generation in better shape than we found it. This is a powerful, powerful moment. And so how are we going to do that? Well, it's important that we answer one crucial question. It's only three words long, but it's an important question that we answer. That question is this, is what is the church? Well, what will come is probably no surprise to you is that Jesus had something to say about this. We're going to look at a scripture passage in Matthew. And in Matthew, Matthew's account, he's, he's recording the account where Jesus looks directly at his followers and says, who do people say that I am? And they gave lots of different responses. Then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And this is where we jump in. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says to Peter, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now there's our word. I will build my church. I think this is awesome because do you realize that Jesus predicted us? Every time that we gather with other believers to worship, we are a fulfillment of Jesus' words 2,000 years ago. I will build my church. And the cornerstone or the foundation of this new entity called the church would be the belief in Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And what Jesus is saying here is that I'm going to build my church on what you just said, Peter, the cornerstone. See, back in ancient times, that's how they built a building. They would take the cornerstone 
And upon that cornerstone, everything else would be measured, everything else would be leveled up, everything came back to that cornerstone. And for the church, it's this confession that Peter made, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. 2,000 years later, this is still our one unifying factor. But then listen to what Jesus says next. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I want you to hear that today. That no virus will stop the church. That no economic collapse will stop the church. No quarantine will stop the church. Jesus guaranteed it. That nothing will stop the church. The powers of hell will not conquer it. But it's important that we we recognize something. Jesus must not have been referring to the church as a building. Because if the church is a building, then what Jesus just told us right here isn't true. If the church is a building, then the powers of hell have conquered it in 2020. Because I believe just about every church building in the world is shut down right now. So the church must be something more than a building. Because God said, the Son of God said, that the powers of hell would not conquer it. Well, it's important that we understand this word that we're talking about. The Greek word that Jesus used here was ekklesia. Now, ekklesia is an interesting word, and it was actually not a religious term. It would refer to citizens called out to gather for civic purposes. It was used to refer to soldiers to gather for military purposes. And ekklesia was simply a gathering or assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. In both secular and sacred literature, ecclesia always referred to a gathering of people united by a common identity and a common purpose. So you may be wondering, well, if this word means gathering, then why doesn't the scripture just say gathering? Well, it's a fascinating story, and we actually have to go back to about 250 years after the time when Jesus said this. We're going to go back to the, the rule of Emperor Constantine. In 313, Emperor Constantine, he legalized Christianity. Now, for the first 300 years of our history, of our, the existence of the church, they experienced localized but intense persecution. Now, in the beginning, few rulers paid any attention to this edict. But as Constantine's power grew, Christianity grew favor as well. Then the unthinkable happened. Constantine, he declared himself to be a Christian. Now, this was unheard of. Can you imagine that the leader of the empire, who for 300 years had tried to squash Christianity, now himself proclaimed to be a Christian? And so, well, you can imagine what happened after that. It became fashionable to be a Christian. Before Constantine, Christian worship was actually... It was pretty informal. Believers met in homes. They enjoyed what they called love feast. Now, that's kind of a weird term, I, I know, but that's what they called it. And it was, it was kind of the ancient equivalent of a potluck. They would get together in small groups. They sang hymns. They, they ate together. They would discuss theology, and then they shared communion. But after Constantine's conversion, everything changed. Powerful people brought their former notions of worship into the church. Worship became formal. 
It became liturgical. It became hierarchical. And now the congregation, they were relegated to the, the role of just spectators. And this ecclesia that we're talking about, it was no longer a movement, and it became a location. And that's what began the downfall of the church. The church was no longer a grassroots movement built upon a simple understanding of who Jesus was. The church became synonymous with a location, with a building. But see, what I want you to see, what you, I want you to understand is it's so important that we understand in this in our time is that, you know what? You can lock the doors on a church, but you can't lock the doors on an ecclesia. You can't lock the doors on a movement. See, when, became, when the church became organized and it became a building, now all of a sudden all the power was in the people's hands who controlled the building. And do you realize how bad it got? It actually got to the point where the scriptures, there was only one copy. It was written in Latin, and it was literally chained to the pulpit. We had lost our way. We lost our way as a movement. And that is until the reformers came along. There was a reformer by the name of William Tyndale, and he was determined to translate the Bible into a language that people could actually read and could actually understand. He accomplished that in 1526, and he began to smuggle English translation, copies of the Bible, into England. Do you realize that that actually made him an outlaw? Translating the Bible made him an outlaw with the church. And after 10 years of searching, they captured him, and the church condemned him to death. They tied him to a beam, strangled him, burned his body, and scattered the ashes. Church officials executed a man for translating and distributing the words of Jesus in a language that adults and children could understand. That's how much we lost our way. Because see, what the church officials understood was that once people had access to the Scriptures and they began to read it for themselves, they would see that what was described in this book, this movement, was not what they were experiencing in modern day. It was no longer a church. It was no longer a movement. It was a building. You know what else they would be shocked that they didn't find? They actually didn't even find this word, church. See, William Tyndale had translated this word accurately, and he said, congregation. And they read about a movement, not a location. And that is crucial that we understand that. They read about that the church was a body of believers, not a building. So today, as we wrap up our time together, I want to ask you to wrestle with some Hard questions. Now, if you're a part of a church, this will probably be a hard question. If you're not, you'll probably sit back and go, yeah, I, I think those are some good questions that church people need to answer. Question number one, are we moving like a movement should be, or are we simply meeting? Because I can't think of a better time to ask these hard questions than right now when we can't physically meet together. Are we moving, or are we simply meeting? Are we making a difference, or are we simply having services? Are we organized around a mission or an antiquated ministry model? In short, are we a movement or a location? Is the church a movement of people, or is it only 
building. Because what I want to share with you is this. If the church is only a building, we're in big trouble. Big, because all of our buildings are closed down. If the church is only a building, we're in big trouble. And I think probably one of the positive things to come out of this entire crisis is that church leaders have had to get very creative. How do we keep the mission of Jesus Christ going forward when all the buildings are locked down? I think these are powerful questions. And what I want you to see, what I want you to understand is that the movement of Jesus Christ, it won't go forward because I want it to. It'll go forward because we want it to. Because we choose to continue to be the church. So as we wrap up, I want you to type this in the chat. What have you heard so far today? What have you heard me say? What is a big takeaway from our time together today? Type that up in the chat right now. Yeah, that's right. We're not glitching out. I'm actually pausing because that's what I want you to do. I want you to type into the chat right now. What have you heard me say so far today? What's your takeaway? Now, last couple questions I want to ask you is this. What can we do this week to be the church? What can you do this week to share hope with somebody else? Now, I'm quite aware that that's going to take a lot of creativity. Because what we've always done in the past is get a bunch of people together. Well, we can't do that anymore, can we? So here's what I know to be true is that constraints, they bring creativity. So by actually understanding what we can't do, it will empower us to know what we can do. And so when you come up with ideas or, or creativity, as you share hope this week, I want you to embrace this concept that we are the hope of the world. We are the hope of the world. We are hope. And so this is a concept that we were talking about even before any of this shutdown. Talking about this concept, that community hope, that we are hope. And I can't think of a more powerful time to live that out than right now. Because you need hope. The people around you desperately need hope. So I want to challenge you to use whatever influence you have. And you know what? It just may be technology right now. Because physically going to someone may be impossible, but you can still go through them through technology. So I want you to do whatever you can to share hope right now in this time so that we can continue to be the church. So as we wrap up our time together, I don't want to assume that you have faith in Jesus Christ. I don't want to assume that, that you're a part of the church. So what I want to share with you is the, most, the thing that set off this movement was that when Jesus Christ came to live on this earth, he lived a sinless life. And then he went and he died on the cross. The Bible says that he gave his life away. And in so doing, he wasn't being punished for his sins because he didn't have any. He was being punished for your sins and for my sins. And he tells us that if we simply put our faith in him, that if we accept his free gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness, that we'll be welcomed into this universal body called the church. And so I want to speak directly to you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you right now and give you that opportunity. Or maybe you've done that a hundred times, and you, maybe you seem like you've fallen away. This can be your moment right now to come back. And so I want to pray with you. I want to pray a very simple prayer. It's not about the words that we pray, but it's about us simply opening up our hearts Accepting Jesus. So would you pray this prayer with me right now? 
Dear Jesus, I believe that you lived and you died for me. And that in that death, you took the punishment for my sins. And I accept your gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness. I give you my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the cool thing is about what, this option we have today, there's actually a button that you can click saying, I gave my life to Jesus today. I'd love for you to click that button because we'd love the opportunity to follow up with you and, and get to know you. And if we can send you any kind of resources that will help you in your newfound faith, we want to do that. And so I'm so excited that you were able to join us here today because we want to continue to interact in you. So keep following our Facebook page. Keep going to the website because we want to do whatever we can as Community Hope to be the hope of the world. That's our mission. That's our vision. And guess what? It's not even going to be stopped because of a pandemic. The hope of Jesus Christ is going to continue to go out. And what I believe down to the core of who I am is that we as a church can advance while everyone else is retreating. But it won't happen unless you decide to join us. So thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. Have a great day. If you were impacted by this sermon or if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Community Hope on Facebook and Instagram or at our website, communityhope.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next week.